0: This episode is brought to you by Facebook Gaming. Facebook Gaming is building the world's gaming community by helping game makers, developers, and publishers to build, grow, and monetize their games. They do do this by providing research-based insights, in-depth case studies, as well as a wide variety of educational materials. A recent example of this is Games Marketing Insights for 2021, a report that has just been released and is available to download for free right now. Of course, Facebook Gaming also helps developers and publishers of all sizes to deploy powerful UA and monetization strategies through a range of innovative solutions designed for games marketers in every corner of the industry. Go to fb.gg dof for in-depth educational materials, including playbooks, webinars, blogs, and reports, as well as great video content.
1: We pretty much use just about every single product that uh, IronSource offers. We're, we're completely integrated with the platform, of course, the mediation products, all ad, ad products, and the company that can assist us in doing UA and monetization and all the uh, additional products that come along with it. It takes a lot of uh, headache away from us, it takes a lot of the hard, busy work off of our hands, having a kind of an all-in-one platform.
2: You just heard Andrew Stone.
0: He's the CEO at Random Logic Games, who use Iron Source's platform to grow their games in the smartest way possible. If you want to grow like Random Logic, you can get the SDK on Iron Source's website. That's IronSRC.com. We all know it mobile marketing is going through a paradigm shift. With the industry moving towards a more aggregate way of measuring marketing efforts, Marketers' ability to measure and understand the impact of their marketing investments is further curtailed. AppsFlyer, though, is not sitting on the sidelines. The company has set a goal to help their customers and the entire mobile ecosystem to successfully navigate the new era of mobile marketing. And that's where AppSlyer's latest product, the Incrementality solution, comes to play. It's a product that truly empowers marketers to gain a better understanding of the real value that their marketing efforts hold. AppsFlyer's incrementality solution is built around remarketing. It simplifies the process of designing, executing, and analyzing incremental lift tests at scale, which previously was something that only the biggest players on the market were able to do. With With incrementality, marketers can focus on the end goal of their test without actually having to worry about the heavy lifting that comes with it. To learn more about incrementality and to read the success stories from publishers like Kabam, I suggest you head out to appsliers.com. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Twig 133. Eric Kress, myself Mish Katkov, Eric Suford, and Adam Telfer. And today, just like a couple of minutes ago, we finally decided that's Eric Suford,
3: not Seaford, right, Chris? I'm going to pronounce it however I want to pronounce it, God damn it! No, you're right. All right, I got it wrong. Eric is so convincing. Chris, is so
0: convincing that you got me <laughs> second-guessing. I've known Suford for fucking 12
3: years, and I'm like, wait a minute. Have you been saying it wrong? You, you pronounce everything wrong, right? Boo-doo, 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 boo <laughs> Come on, dude.
0: Anyway, news for the day. Uh, We're gonna talk about first, we're gonna talk about how Scopely tries to do game acquisition the right way from VentureBeat. Uh, Then we're gonna move on, talk about Zynga. So I was supposed to cover today EA and Glue, and then I woke up and I started (laughs) analyzing Zynga. And after an hour, I ran out, I spent only an hour on this. I was like, so what I was supposed to do, oh, it was EA EA and Glue. Anyway, my bad, but we're gonna talk about Zynga. And um, we're gonna talk about Ubisoft's free-to-play strategy as well as Xbox teaming up with Teamy. E. so interesting topics today how's it going guys Going well good all good. good
2: Eric and Miska you look like you just like came right out of the gym is that, wow. is that what the plan is today
0: <laughs> so listen like you would think that I came out of the gym but the fact is I've never left the gym <laughs> so- yeah. <laughs> yeah, we were-
2: and you and you're the guy complaining to me about working remotely okay cool all right let's let's keep it moving
3: before you got uh, here, we were, we were discussing all our injuries from uh, exercise right? yeah. and how old we're getting. It was a really fascinating conversation, yeah, I'm just sure old man everyone talk. would enjoy. <laughs> <Yeah>. Anyways,
2: uh, <laughs> Eric needs to go.
0: <laughs> all right. All right. Qu- quick update. So uh, Animoca, Animoca, see, I don't know how to pronounce this. Animoca brands raised $88 million at $1 billion valuation. So I'm not familiar with this company. Uh, I'm not very familiar with the studios they've been picking up. I think this is NFT, cryptocurrency, some kind of a play. So hard to hard to uh, give any kind of comments other than all the best to them. Uh, I hope they succeed in, in whatever they do next. And I hope this funding helps them to succeed in whatever they do next. Epic and Blizzard veterans secured funding from Lightforge. Uh, and they founded... No, for... I'm all over the place. Former Blizzard and Epic veterans raised $5 million for Lightforge Games. Um, interesting. A, a lot of a lot of folks from Blizzard have been raising and doing
3: a lot of interesting games, so all the best to them. No, that's uh, fine, dude. They're, they're just doing RPGs. There's just a bunch of Blizzard guys and Riot guys that are getting together and leaving the mothership, dude. It's like rats leave, <laughs> doing, leaving the sinking uh, ship right maybe,
2: now. Maybe not rats, but very qualified maybe, game developers. Maybe just <laughs> yeah, the... Maybe just High the people that we're working on the ship.
1: <laughs> <laughs>
2: There's secrets of game growth with deconstructive fun, mobile dev memo, and mopop. So this is this your working session, Eric?
1: Yeah, we're doing a webinar. Uh, May 26th at uh, twelve PM Eastern. We've got a really great lineup of, of panelists. So Miska's leading a, a sort of game design panel with some some really impressive people. I'm leading a games growth panel. Uh, with some equally impressive people, I and mean, we've got uh, we're going to hear from MoPub as well. Uh, it's going to run about two hours from twelve pm Eastern to two pm Eastern. Should be a good time. It's uh, you can you can find the event on Eventbrite. URL is really long, but if you just search for Secrets of Game Growth on Eventbrite, uh, you'll find it. I'm also going to have a link up on Mobile Dev Memo and link also in the description of this podcast yeah that's gonna be great and it's free free to free to join so uh, yeah just just register for the link register i can sign up great that's link in the description (laughs) sign up gonna be a good one and then we
0: have another event so this is the one that adam is on this event chris is on this event jk is on this event so we're doing um we've been doing this little thing with with iron source it's actually not little uh so it's a level up conference a webinar uh pretty big one a lot of different speakers we've got five different tracks so we've been recording throughout this year and it's going to go live in late june so we got a registration link for that as well so two big events one with twitter one with iron source coming out Um, check those out we don't we don't do bad content right
1: i'm doing the iron source thing too
0: yeah yeah that's true oh yeah
1: we we, we literally we we,
0: we went through our roller decks (laughs) and all our favorite people are on this iron source event so Definitely. You know, I I did all
3: this work. I don't remember getting any checks from Iron source. You know, (laughs) what what happened with that? Did it get lost in the mail or something? Uh, Let's let's wait for Q2. (laughs)
2: Yeah, some interesting news uh, from Twitter. So Daniel Ahmad from uh, Nico Partners um, actually tweeted about some of Tencent's cloud offering plans. Um, So you checked out some images that showed a prototype controller, which was pretty interesting. Um, but his uh, insight there, Tencent cloud gaming, basically focusing on broadening mobile instead of broadening the reach of HT as in PC console games. That's Tencent's plan. So instead of thinking of cloud gaming, basically taking PC console games and bringing them to every platform that you own, um, including mobile, it's now thinking about mobile games and being able to bring them to TV or PC. Um, interesting, especially considering that things like TV and PC are definitely connected by you know, strong Wi-Fi, so at least the technical barrier is not there. Um, but from the strategy, the interesting bit is that the controller itself has a swappable faceplate with different control schemes that are all very mobile-focused. So, the, for example, there's one that's actually very MOBA-focused, with the controller having enough buttons for every ability. Um, it actually looks like even Diablo Immortal was the comparison for that. Um, the controller concepts overall just looks weird. Um, personally, I don't really understand how you can still have a quality of the buttons when you have this kind of inter- interlocking thing. But sure, you know, cool concept, whatever. Um, and generally, with the cloud being mobile first, PC com- or PC TV second, it's just very Tencent and also very Eastern for now. So I wouldn't expect this to be moving west. Um, but you know, maybe maybe this works in the east. We'll, we'll see. Eric,
3: I don't see it. I don't see it. I, I saw it. It looks so bizarre. But you know, I, I, I yeah it's hard to speak to what works in China, but I know these types of things always end up failing in the West. Um, but we'll see. Uh, just a quick update. Um, <clears throat> I talked to Joseph from a uh, game fan after giving him a hard time making fun of him as being like this super evangelist, religious type of experience. Um, and actually when I spoke to him on the phone and even after making fun of him on the podcast, he still was willing to talk to me, which I really appreciate. <laughs> um, but uh he actually was far more pragmatic and more balanced on the phone call than he was on this interview with Joseph. So, And he really didn't mind what I said about him. He, he, he owns it, right? Except he didn't like the idea of me saying that he performed fellatio on Mr. Matthew Curtis. So <laughs> I, I apologize for that. Um, and what I really wanted to be saying is that he's an amazing spokesman for Roblox. And he's probably better at it than Mr. Matt Curtis, because Matt Curtis is far more mellow. Um, and again, he's a deep believer in the platform and more power to him. Thanks for the chat, Joseph. And hopefully we, we can chat again. Uh, the other big elephant in the room for two of us anyway, is that discover has acquired Warner media and not really much to discuss in here. Cause I don't know shit. And even if I knew shit, I couldn't tell you guys. So, um, I am, there's a lot of rumors about Warner getting split up or whatever, but none of that's been verified and I'm sure we'll get more and more details going forward, but I think that's all we're going to talk about this particular subject, <laughs> but just want to know that we're not heads in the sand on this, but uh, we'll see what happens.
0: Yeah. Let's not speculate. Adam is still the only one here employed by a corporation. So, so.
2: yeah, Please do not speculate. <laughs> Cite <laughs> all your sources.
0: Let's jump Oof. over this topic <laughs> directly into Scopely. So Eric Suver, tell us what's going on.
1: Yeah, uh, just, I mean, just to kind of piggyback on what Eric K said, I, I uh, Joseph, I, I know him from GameFam. He actually gave me, I was writing some some articles about Roblox, um, and he gave me a lot of great information about that platform. That platform is really fascinating for anyone who's never kind of dug in and just seen it as like, okay, that's a, you know, it's like a Minecraft-esque kids game type sandbox uh, experience. It's a really fascinating platform. I mean, they have a whole ads ecosystem that I never would have kind of thought they would they would have um. And he kind of walked me through all of that so really appreciated his time um, he's a good guy uh, okay how how scopely tries to do game acquisitions the right way this was an article um, on on venture beat um, that was written about a panel that was conducted at the games beat summit featuring execs from scopely and I think it just offered a couple of interesting points that I wanted to unpack a little bit in the podcast today um, it's an interesting case study in making m M&A, and making games M&A work as, as we're starting to see acquisitions within Gaming Accelerator, as we have seen in the last probably six, six to nine months. Uh, one kind of, um, you know, very interesting tidbit from that, from the, just the early, early segment of the article. Uh, so I'll quote it. In the first quarter, the money for acquisitions, public offerings, and investments hit $39 billion, more than more than the $33 billion for all of last year. According to Invest Game, so we see that the you know M A in, in gaming is just um, is just kind of exploding. Um, I spoke a little bit to this in in an article that I wrote for uh, Deconstructor Fund back in July called "The Imminent Ragnarok of M A in the Mobile Gaming Space." I think my sense here, and and Eric, I would love to get your your perspective on it, is that the M and growth is primarily led by an explosion of engagement from COVID, and also the broader macro monetary environment. Um, I think that the, the pace of this M&A was, will not abate, uh, you know, even as things start to open back up uh, because of IDFA deprecation. I think, that'll cause it, uh, I think that'll cause a lot of big studios to see value in acquiring smaller studios. I think also a lot of smaller studios will just become cheaper. I think there'll be kind of like a, a discount on acquiring smaller studios. And, I, and I, so I think that kind of the, the acquisitions there around IDFA will not just be in the ad tech uh, category. I think the ad tech acquisitions kind of unlock more value from acquired studios. So you might see this kind of roll out in stages, you know, a company like Zynga acquires Chartboost, and then it's just easy for them to acquire up a bunch of studios and like plug them all together. Uh, so I feel like there's, there's sort of two forces at play in catalyzing this M&A, um, you know, this, this sort of like M&A, uh step change, but, but they're mostly sequential, right? I think it was the COVID and then the IDFA stuff. And I think right now we're still kind of in that, in that COVID portion of that. W- what do you think, Chris?
3: I mean, I think you've, illustrated why things are happening i think there's there's also this notion this fomo thing of fear of missing out of of acquisitions where you know fueling your growth and and fueling you know your the attention on you right so still front scope uh, scopely is one of them yeah scopely's been freaking quiet though over the last six months you know but anyway yeah. um yeah, the FOMO thing is a big thing because valuations are are through the moon. And, and the more you add to your business, the more that that multiple works, right? So it's you know, multiple arbitrage to some degree, adding more revenue, adding more earnings. The whole notion of IDFA deprecation, this the strategy, your 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 proposed strategy of shit, I forgot what it's called. Walled content, garden content content fortresses. Content fortress. <laughs> Actually, I kind of like that one more so than a lot of other stuff that people come up with. Um, so that strategy kind of pushes people to do acquisitions that may or may not make sense. I, I still don't believe that Zynga is going to be able to appropriately use ChartBoost. And and they're, they're selling a story, right? I don't know if they're actually going to be able to execute anything that they're talking about, but we'll, I guess we'll see. Um, so anyway, a lot of that fervor is going on to help build and, and, and position yourself as you have a strategy for growth in this amazing market, right? So EA's acquisition of Glue makes no sense on the numbers, but from a from a PR perspective it's brilliant right and they are already using it like the whole earnings call was about their mobile strategy and it's yeah, like right. dude you had no mobile strategy 6 fucking months ago right and then you acquired yeah. glue and acquired jeff carp and now you're going to go for a billion dollar business right well what happened to you like for the last 6 years you know no yeah. oh, okay oh, yeah, forget that so anyway those are the type of things that are kind of fueling this 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 move and and we're going to get to Zynga in a moment. And I think Zynga is in a situation which where they have to acquire because I don't know what the hell they do in the second half of the year, right? So um, anyway, it, yeah, it's a really interesting time uh, for, for, for the business uh, and, and valuations. And it's a good time to sell, is I, I would say, generally speaking, yeah. if, you're, if you're an owner.
0: How much what? How much the, uh, the implication of, of just more money in the market, like all the stock prices went up and... And it just feels like like private equities. Everybody had more money to invest and games look very much like one of the few businesses that were growing do, during this time. Like how much that played in the, uh, in, in the M&A circuit?
3: Well, I don't want to be a, considered an expert in in, in in money supply or whatever, but there's so much cash. Out. <laughs> yeah, right. My macroeconomic skill set's <laughs> relatively limited from my UC Davis days at macroecon with uh, whoever that teacher was. But anyway, the point is, there is a lot of money chasing a lot of things. And that's, you know, Bitcoin, all these, you know, cryptos and 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 NFT. the stock market and all these companies going public. They're just just it's very frothy out there. So yeah, that's definitely part of it as well. Just a lot, people have a lot of money. Right? So <laughs> spend it on something. Yeah, um,
1: yeah. I, we we talked about the chart piece thing last last week. Um, you know, you know, I don't need to revisit it, but I would just say that like following that, I got so much inbound from games companies. How do we buy it at network? Like people, it's just like you said, it's a FOMO. It's like Zinger's doing it. I get it. Like that makes sense. What the narrative they spun there makes sense. We got to do it.
3: I think. Yeah, exactly. No, really? That's exactly (laughs) what I'm talking about. So these people have no business acquiring something like that, yet they're going to go out and do it because it's the right strategy on paper. Right. And of course, Mr. Seifert, Sufer, whatever the fuck your name is, but (laughs) you're the one that's pushing this shit, dude. No, I'm just kidding. I, don't know. I can. I already know what the next
0: topic for growth trigger is, and that's how to buy yeah. an ad tech company. How to oh, buy an ad that's the uh, listen yeah, to hold the the record, the all time record for the most listened podcast episode. Think I think we're gonna break that.
3: <laughs> Let's do it, I man. Said, Let's
1: uh, break
0: the
3: internet. Yeah, exactly. So I I I don't know what happened to me this weekend, but I I I got so once I saw this thing from Warner happen, and I was like. God damn it, is there, am I ever gonna get a break? There's always some kind of drama going on that I have to have be aware of and and figure out, right? Yeah. And so this is like adding to my stress levels when when people start acquiring ad networks and they have yeah. no business doing it, you know, like it's a different business together. And so I guess what I what I really, really like to say before we continue on is when you go outside of what your core competency is as a company you know, your whole organization is set up to do one fucking thing, make games, right? And and publish games, right? And so when you go outside of that comfort zone, it's a fucking, it's a challenge, it's a struggle, it's, it's painful, right? Particularly big orgs like EA or Zynga or whatever. Like if you're small and nimble, sure, you go after different things and you try different new things, but when you're a game company and you're buying bullshit like this, like it doesn't, it is a recipe for freaking disaster. And I know all the guys at Zynga, right? I, I mean, I know what their skill sets are and what they've done in their careers. And they're just not capable of running chart boost. It's just not, I, I don't see it. I don't see it, but you know, maybe they'll hire the right engineers for fucking, you know, Facebook, like these, you know, g- you know, pay them a gajillion dollars to come run this thing or something. But it just seems like an exercise in futility, but I, you know, of course I can always be wrong. Right. Rarely, but sometimes <laughs> <laughs> maybe,
1: maybe um, I, so I like this article a lot because uh, you know, to Eric's point scopely has been kind of quiet on the MA front recently, but they had, they kind of laid out a blueprint for a successful M and a here with the Fox next acquisition. They, they talked through it. And I think it's interesting to apply that, you know, on a kind of go forward basis with all the M that's happening now. One of the points that was highlighted in the article uh, was that you know the, the the Fox Next team felt that one of the sort of uh, you know one of the reasons why that acquisition was successful is that they gave the team creative freedom, right? And they mostly unlocked value via you know sort of scopely centralized UA services, right? So they said, okay, keep running this game, we're acquiring the team. Uh, we're gonna you know we're gonna bring our you know sort of like a- expert UA capabilities to this game and just unlock value that way. And I think that's what we've seen with Zynga's M and A model too. The acquired studios are left almost completely alone to operate independently. And, and, you know, I know many of those studios, uh, you know, Graham um, in particular, and and they thrived, right? So, you know, UA can be done successfully for these satellite or subsidiary studios that doesn't require a lot of integration um, and they can be left to operate independently in that model. Um, but where I've seen, you know, where I've seen kind of m fail and where I've seen, you know, problems arise is when is when you don't even really try to integrate the teams from a from a product or creative standpoint, but you just you just try to integrate the data more, more rigorously, right, you try to integrate the sort of centralized data uh, systems, and that can slow everything down and break the independence of the acquired studio and that's kind of non obvious right. Um, but it, it's, it's, it, it's true because, because of the way that the data is collected, where it's aggregated, how it's reporting, all of that bleeds up into product management, right? And so if you break that data and analytics workflow, you can also break the product management workflow because ultimately for free to play games, product management is inextricably married to analysis, right? The PMs are, are, they're spending all of their time, you know, kind of, uh, looking at conversion, uh, you know, models they're they're thinking through uh, you know sort of any any sort of implications of ab tests they're thinking about cohorts uh, in a very deep way and that that that's very much a function of just how you're even presenting that data and how how it's surfaced to them and if you break that well then you're breaking their workflow as well it's not just a matter of you know, of integrating the data integrating the back ends it's it actually ends up percolating up into product management itself um, and so I've seen that be a roadblock, uh, or I've seen, I've seen that be a, like, a, a you know, a potentially a pitfall for, for M&A integrations. I think another interesting aspect of the Fox Next acquisition reading, reading through this article is that several of the Fox Next employees got promoted into leadership positions at Scopely. So they weren't just a subsidiary studio. They almost like they brought in the leadership from Fox Next and made them real leaders at Scopely. Uh, you know, Fox Next was a large acquisition, and the success of Marvel Strike Force ultimately was going to be the success of Scopely. And so it made sense to intermix the DNA of those of those companies and not relegate the Fox next team to kind of middle management roles or, you know, roles in this sort of, in this, in this sort of uh, uh, subsidiary studio, right. Where they, they weren't actually having an impact on the, on the bigger company. Um, you know, and, and because if you do that, you know, you're hiring these people, you're probably presumably because they're smart, they're good operators. They know what they're doing. Why, why make them feel relegated? Why allow them to become demotivated at disillusioned, you know, integrate them, integrate them into the broader management uh, team and, and let them help you make even better decisions going forward, right? Um, I think, you know, you could see the bureaucracy of, of bigger orgs break a lot of entrepreneurial founders and destroy value in these acquisitions. And I think a good example of that is that we saw the, the Colibri founders leave Ubisoft uh, maybe two weeks ago, all on the same day, mm-hmm. right? I mean, it was pretty clear that like, okay, we're sort of done here. Um, you know, obviously there was some kind of moment you know, they are probably, uh, you know, an earnout, um, but that's not a great outcome for the acquiring company, right? You know, you're hiring these people because they've built something of immense value. You want to give them the opportunity to sort of feel like they're continuing to build, they're continuing to, to sort of set their own course um, and have agency over their own lives. If they feel like they've just been sucked up into this Borg and they're just servicing a product. Um, and just waiting to cash checks, then they're going to leave as soon as they can. And, and, you know, there are ways to structure deals to alleviate the risk. Um, but, you know, a lot of these people aren't just motivated by the money, they've already made some money, right? You've got to motivate them, you know, by giving them agency over their work and by allowing them to build stuff and make them feel kind of, um, you know, creatively satisfied at work.
0: Yeah, Calibri is a good example. I mean, uh, before that, it was Ketchup, at least, uh, with, with, with yeah. Ubisoft. Like, the same thing happened. And with Calibri, it's not like the guys are done. Like, first of all, they're young. Secondly, yeah. they left and started a VC fund at the moment they left. Yeah. So it's not like they're like, they're, they're like, well, we're, we're just going to lie on the beach and do nothing. It's like, no, they're going to go to a brutal work of, a, of running a VC fund, finding companies, and so forth. So they were full of energy, but somehow Ubisoft didn't channel that energy to actually making other, you know, uh, successful products at, at Calibri. I mean, I, I don't know how their latest uh,
3: yeah, Idle but, Fireman is doing. Ubisoft doesn't know anything about mobile. You know, it's like, why, why would you go to mobile? Why would you sell yourself to someone like that? Like I would, you know. To start your VC fund, of course. Yeah, well, I mean, that's, yeah. <laughs> if you would just want to cash out and bail, that's what yeah. I would do. But I Eric,
2: you, you brought up a good point about integrating data, right? And just completely changing the culture of the company, even when you start asking for these kind of centralized tool sets. But if you're operating UA centrally, isn't that almost a requirement like in order to actually run UA effectively it still has to give the data on the UA side as well as on the product side. So does it then it become like you have to be able to track the data using your old system for your own purposes, and then also using the centralized system so we can do UA effectively. Well, it depends.
1: I mean, there's a lot of different tools that you can bring to doing UA, right? Um, now, yeah, kind of. I mean, you need that that the product data needs to be unified with the with the UA data. Um, but you can do that without without going with like a complete integration, right, of the back backends. Um, and you know that data is pretty portable. And so you and you could have it kind of uh, the, and the UA the, a lot of times the UA sort of infrastructure kind of exists separately from the product data anyway. Um, and the, and what it does is it just sort of ingests the product data and marries the data there. So it's, it's possible that, you know, you could just sort of like stream that uh, product data out to the UA system and have that be kind of centralized from the UA team because the UA team is going to operate totally, almost, you know, fairly independently anyway. Now, I mean, they might have, you know, feedback to the product team around, hey, well, here, you know, and, and this is kind of a, a point I've been um, making for a long time is that the, these, those teams need to be integrated just from an operational standpoint. Um, but, you know, the, 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 the be, a better approach to that is not having the UA team say, hey, you need to do this to the product right? Because that's, that's just never going to work. And I've seen that you know, blow up politically. The better approach is that the product team deeply understands UA mm-hmm. and they're building a product to be UA-able, right? And that's a best case scenario. That's a great outcome. And if that's the case, then, then the data management part of that's pretty easy because all of the UA data is just, you can ingest that from the, the platforms. You can ingest that from Facebook or wherever if you're using like a, a singular type system or you can ingest that from the MMP. That, that data is very portable. So like moving that around is easier. What I'm talking about is when you sort of force a totally new analytics system on the product team, right? You say, Hey, we just acquired you now uh trash your analytics trash whatever sort of you know interface that you've been working with for data trash all your tableau reports and you've got to start using our our system that just breaks everything and and it's not obvious but and a lot of people think think oh that's a synergy because we've got this awesome analytics system but actually it's such a rough transition and it's so hard for a product team that's been building a game for years using a certain set of analytics to then transition away from that to something new that actually causes real product management problems. That, that goes way beyond integrating analytics. That becomes, hey, you've got to actually adapt to the way that
3: we do product management. And that's a big change. And that and that's a risk. Yeah. Actually, one more note on Scopely, and I, I think this ties into what you guys are kind of talking about, is um, their their biz dev, corp dev efforts were absolutely tremendous. Henry Lowenfelds, who's uh, a friend of the podcast and someone i talked to actually last week as a matter of fact um he's he's got to be one of the motherfucking coolest guys in gaming i don't know i every time i talk to him i'm like dude you're too freaking nice and too, <laughs> too well informed to be this nice but anyway besides that fact the guy boiled the ocean for seven fucking years you know like you go to gdc dude he had back-to-back meetings every single day all day long like 20 meetings a day something insane like the amount of work and effort it takes to find diamonds in the rough in this business. It's, it's not by accident is what I'm trying to say. And so what they, and what they do, I think is they basically do this, like, you know, boil the ocean and they bring them in and integrate the PMs and the people that are are managing the, 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 the numbers and, 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 you know, the metrics and all this other stuff. And they just do an exceptional job of that. Right. And their games stay in beta forever. You know, they optimize, optimize, optimize. I mean, is avatar ever coming out or are they just waiting for the movie? I don't know, but, uh, but anyway, so that work behind the scenes of Javier and Henry and all the rest of those guys is, 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 is tremendous, you know? Um, and and then the same thing for Zynga, we've talked about that before, mm-hmm. where, you know, like these, these face men. like, um, <laughs> for some reason, I always forget <laughs> that guy's name, and I, it's it driving me insane. from Zynga. Kim?
2: Bernard FK. Kim?
3: Bernard Kim, you know, these yeah. face men. all they do is establish relationships with these people early, you know, it takes a lot of work. So anyway, um, <laughs> you know, that's a big part of their success at Scopely. And they basically completely, these two games are just destroying it right now, right? Um, they're fi- they're p- profitable, finally. Um, and so they could be an acquisition candidate at this place, at this, at this stage. Yeah. Interesting. Because they're profitable. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Well, let's move on to the, uh, the next topic, which wasn't supposed to be part of this podcast. Goodbye, Suford. So see, uh, and then the the, other next episode, next episode. next topic is Zynga. So I was supposed to look at EA because EA just released their mobile numbers, but I'll come back to that. Next week, but this week let's talk about Zynga. So monthly revenues currently they're fluctuating between 150 million and 125 million. This is all the data is coming from Sensor Tower, and these are net revenues, and um, the downloads you know, increased quite significantly. So they're almost at all time high when it comes to downloads, at least during their mobile history, Uh, currently running at 90 million a month. And of course, Rolik is driving the majority of the downloads with all the hyper casual games. And if the downloads are going up in a hyper casual publisher, that means things are booming in terms of um, in-app ad revenue. And they've actually reported doubling their in-app ad revenue. And anyways, let's look at their portfolio. So very diversified. So their in-app purchase portfolio, uh, they have top Top 10 games make about 85% of all, all the revenue, and top three games make 50% of the revenue. So this is more diversified than when looking at other top publishers, If, for example, like, like the ones like, you know, the Supercells and the Blatikas and others that are a bit more concentrated. Uh, I divided their portfolio into puzzle games, so you got Tomb Blast, Toy Blast, Harry Potter Match... Uh, there's merge games like merge dragons merge magics there's casino poker slots racing and rpg with with empires and puzzles and um and i started comparing this portfolio looking at q1 of 2020 and q1 of 2021 as well as all the all the other quarters in between to kind of see how how it's so how it's moving along so looking at their top games so toon blast seems to be stable, like the most stable game ever. Like they seem to be hitting, according to the sensor tower, they hit the same revenue on the dot, like 147 million per quarter net, boom, one one quarter. Then the next quarter comes in, same amount, like down to a million. So it seems that that they the game didn't have really big of a COVID bump, but it didn't, didn't even have any kind of a, a slump after the COVID. It just keeps on trucking and very, very successful one. The Toy Blast is kind of like the previous, uh, it's, it's the version before Toon Blast, and I was a bit surprised because Toy Blast has been growing, and they're up by 16% uh, year over year uh, when compared to the, the first quarters, and currently, according to the sensor Tower, running about 80 million net a quarter, so uh, a very nice sort of a legacy title on that. Now, where things are a little bit more challenging is Empires and Puzzles, so it has been really much, pretty much ruling the uh, the sort of a puzzle RPG subgenre, um, but now it's it's on a small decline. Like when you compare the first quarters of the year, it was down by ten percent. Uh, they launched Combat Puzzle just recently, and we talked about it. And I mentioned that uh, there is already puzzles and survival from thirty seven games, and it's actually doing tremendously well and catching up to Empires and Puzzles. Um overall, when you look at this, the whole puzzle RPG subgenre, it seems very difficult to scale games because even PlayRix's uh puzzle breakers could not scale and it seems to to have you know been almost forgotten in, in PlayRix portfolio. Uh the other challenging part in the portfolio is the merge games. Uh merge magic was down 43% since uh when you compare Q1 of 2020 to Q1 uh 2021. Merge Dragons is Kind of still holding holding on but still in a in a in a bit of a decline um, i was looking at 12 percent of the decline and the the most important part of the merge category is the whole competition like we see supercell now giving you know endless you know, 150 million credit line to to another merge publisher out of here out of finland and what's most interesting part about these new merge games that are coming out is that they come from studios that ha- don't even have Sometimes experience in making casual games or in making puzzle games, and they're able to enter this genre. So the competition is just more and more fiercer and fiercer. Uh, so, what was going to happen? Sorry, can we yeah. can we
3: back up one one thing? I, the puzzles and survival game from yeah. Thirty Seven Games. I actually tried to play that game because I wanted to see. Yeah. That's actually more of a four X game. That's I mean, it has really? a puzzle mechanic, but it is a four X game, a ho- hardcore, right? Oh, wow, so it's not quite comparable to. So- uh, so it's uh i actually didn't
0: play it i didn't play it i i looked at the, uh, yeah. the screenshots and and it, it was in the uh in the sensor tower it was in the same taxonomy but it's okay so it has more yeah. pvp and more okay
3: that's interesting. Yeah, they, it, it it's more of an empire builder than it is it's just a puzzle mecha- they use the puzzle mechanic for a battle mechanic.
0: interesting so it's almost the same as they did with the uh with the mer- uh, top battle so it's it has a merge mechanic but it is a 4- 4x game got it yeah. okay so that makes that makes more sense but then it, it looks that it's even more challenging because even Playrix couldn't grow a puzzle RPG game, which was legit puzzle RPG game. I did play Puzzle Breakers. Um, oh, yeah. And then the rest of the portfolio, like poker doing pretty well, about 23% up. We've got slots that is doing, of course, phenomenally because casinos, I don't know if they're yet open. Uh, they're opening up. I, I hear things in Vegas are, are pretty, are booming. You don't have to wear a mask if you have your two shots. Uh, all these news. <laughs> You know coming out so things are getting packed but slots are doing great you got go, they got their hit at risk the wizards of oz the willy wonkas everything is doing great some of these games are up by like 60 uh quarter over quarter and then uh, finally their their latest um internally made match three game harry potter match three scaling super nicely already at a 50 million net a quarter according to sensor tower so in, in terms of portfolio, it seems like Graham and, and Small Giant are having a little bit of a trouble uh, growing their games and seeing some decline in their big games. Of course, they're, they're still incredibly successful. And the, the level that they've hit is, is dominating in their own sub-genres, but seem to be you know, fighting new contenders as well as uh, fighting their, their ability to, to stay on top. Uh, and when it comes to their in-app ad portfolio, uh, Ro- uh, Rolik their installs doubled so before the acquisition Zynga's installs were 67 million uh, a quarter and then no sorry before the acquisition uh, Zynga's ad revenue was 67 million a quarter and now it's about 125 million so I did some calculation because I was trying to figure out how much words with friends makes in, in ad advertising and in my, like, back of the napkin calculation, this game continues to make between $500,000 and $700,000 a day in in-ad revenue. And um, so that's, that's incredibly impressive. So don't ask me how I did those calculations. Uh, but they're there, and I trust them that they're uh, somewhere near the truth. So let's sum it up. The threats, in my opinion, for, for Zynga is, is new games. So Farmville 3. We haven't seen much from from that game it came into soft launch way ago uh they talked about it in 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 some of their quarterlies but haven't been really talking about it as of late Uh, of course this game is out of helsinki and um really wish that that the game does well and launches sometime this year we got combat puzzle another game from helsinki uh, from small giant launched seemed to be scaling but not as fast as you would expect it had an incredibly long soft launch uh, changed the theme, changed the setting was launched globally, so you know we'll see if we can scale, especially with the a t t now uh, their merge portfolio is being attacked by all sides, all the newcomers as well as big companies are are you know jumping in, making merge games, battling for that and um and the 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 final threat is in ad admonization with att um, if if the uh if the cpms go down. Well, that means the in-app monetization goes down. And through that, the Zynga's growth in growing that monetization channel decreases. Now, when it comes to opportunities, we just talked about them. The chart boost, Eric doesn't believe in chart boost. Uh, but I do believe that they will improve their cross-promotion skills uh, and, and abilities, that they will be more effective at cross-promoting inside their portfolio, especially since you know, I broke them down into these sort of um, sub-genres, their games, because... When you have them, you're. It's more clear how to cross promote between the subgenres. And when you look at Zynga from from the subgenre perspective, they do have them. Like they they keep focusing on certain genres, and not going to new ones. So through that, I believe that they will be able to. There's an opportunity to to extract value out of chart boost in terms of cross promotion.
3: Cross promotion is a fucking myth. Come on. No, it it's up. not. No, it it. and only between between the same genre maybe well they have several same genres yeah but they but
0: they have several same genres so they can promote between them like the merges and the puzzles and so forth anyway how about cross-platform so they have been pushing that a lot i see job ads for zyngas and natural motion cross-platform positions they got the star wars game coming out Uh, i believe they said it's on switch and You know we were kind of dismissing of switch but now seeing the fortnite numbers on switch like i don't know it seems like (laughs) just stop just stop it's an opportunity and then the final one is that they have a very you know proven ability to work with top ips uh anything from game of thrones to willy wonkas to to harry potters with you know in the post idfa world ips mean a lot they they broaden your your funnel of acquisition they increase your IPM. So I, I think Zynga being so open and, and having so much experience with that helps them out. And overall, I think Zynga has what it takes. Like when you, when you look at it, it is truly, truly, truly a top mobile publisher because they have the four kind of key components in my opinion. One is marketing. They're able to launch and grow games. Uh, they've invested into marketing with these ad tech acquisition Uh, and they will probably continue investing more into it. They got the product expertise. I mean, this has kind of been the pillar of of Zynga, of doing bold beats, doing always updates, thinking about what what players thank them for. But most importantly, like their updates work. The games are growing, uh, the games monetize, the games retain, the games are are viral to some extent. So in that sense, they they do have true product expertise. uh, Thirdly, they have a very diversified portfolio. And that's why i kind of went through it and fourthly they have genre mastery so through these studios that focus on specific genres they're able to consistently improve in the genres that they are and as an extra they are very good in MA, a proven track record um you know since petrovic left kind of like smaller acquisitions no more <laughs> billions there <laughs> you know thrown on, on turkish developers but but still they continue to be successful in MA and in some of their Biggest success is coming from the companies that they acquired, and uh, and of course the final one is working with IP. So that's my take on Zynga. I would definitely put it on buy.
3: Uh, all right. So for Zynga, I'm not going to really comment too deeply here because it's your job. This is what I get paid for. But uh, you know they did have a very strong quarter uh, for the first quarter of the year, and and they had a really strong year last year. Obviously, uh, I am a, li- a little bit le- less bullish on Zynga. Um, I think they're kind of losing focus. <laughs> Buying chart boost and buying these uh, hyper casual, so we'll see what happens with the IDFA stuff. Uh, But but my worry is more of their growth in the the back half of the year and 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 next year. Um, It looks like they're going to need acquisitions. Looks like they're not going to be able to do it organically. Um, Farmville looks like a dud, and then uh, Puzzle Combat. They haven't scaled Puzzle Combat for some reason. Like they haven't really been spending much, Um, and I I don't know why. Maybe I don't know. They're holding back. I don't know. I have to wait for IDFA. So we'll see. But you know, Zing is a great company. And I I, and and the the management team is is amazing and they know what they're doing. They just uh I think I won't get too excited about them until I see some uh opportunities for them to grow. And the problem is the fundamentally that they are so big that getting something that's actually material for them is is far more challenging, right? So uh, I don't know how many acquisitions are out there that are left. That's it. If you want my thesis on Zynga? I gotta call.
2: <laughs> <laughs> gotta pay for self serving podcast. All right. Let's move on. Let's talk about my self serving, uh, Ubisoft. So, Ubisoft's free to play could be the new normal for big franchises. That's the article. Um, so, my assumptions actually in the last podcast were wrong. Um, not 24 hours after you recorded, Ubisoft announced that uh, they have a new focus as a company, building AAA high quality free to play experiences. And it was clarified later that d- that focus doesn't mean fewer premium AAA titles, but they are adding or augmenting to their current production pipeline to start building high quality AAA free to play experiences. Although to be honest like looking at studios like Redstorm going to free to play, that sounds more like they are say maintaining their top premium titles and then transitioning maybe the remaining internal studios, keep in mind this is speculation, right? Like transitioning some of the remaining internal studios um, as well as potentially building stuff up to work on free-to-play games and feed those free-to-play live services or feed those premium services like Assassin's Creed. Um, And overall, like I'm I'm a fan of this, right? Like premium AAA staying intact, absolutely is a good call. There's absolutely no point in hurting where your profits have come from. There's no point in risking um, Assassin's Creed, Far Cry's core business. Um, but I just don't know how they're going to execute on augmenting without, say, distracting or under-resourcing any of these things. But again, all speculation. Um, so last week, the news was that Division Hardline Hardland would end up being, my assumption was that they would end up being kind of a low-scope free-to-play experiment by UBI, but that was wrong, right? Um, it looks like some stuff leaked this week, uh, which challenges that. It's unlikely to be, my assumption was it was unlikely to be the same scope as Division 2 just due to the risks involved and the costs of building Division 2, but after leaked footage, um, unfortunately that I actually missed, um, it looks like Red Storm is actually trying to build an open world survival action shooter, which has two key game modes. One is a co-op PvE mode called Expedition, and one is a 45-player PvEVP mode called Storm. Um, So I'm assuming, right, like on paper, it sounds like this is actually a lot better design than my assumption of being a kind of a simple horde mode. Um, This could actually be something pretty well-informed by the types of services that do scale. So survival games definitely do. Um, PvEVP is a lot more of a mixed bag. Um, No one has really cracked this nut. And I think Dark Zone and Division is really hated by the majority of players, especially when they try to force players into that. Gambit. I don't think it really did a lot for Destiny, at least from all the numbers that I can see in terms of public public CCU, um, Twitch numbers, Gambit doesn't do a lot. The recent game- I hate the, I game... hate, I, I hate the yeah. PVP modes in, in, in Destiny. I, I just, it, yeah, yeah it doesn't fit. But you're talking about PVP, you're talking about like um, um, Crucible, right? But you played-
3: but, but Gambit's more or less, it's yeah. just group you, you PvP. You go right? in,
2: you get the reward, you get out, right? That's that's what most players do when they play Destiny. They're yeah. there for the reward. They're not there for the gameplay. So then why why build it? Yeah. Um, anyways, and then all, on top of that, there was a recent game called Hood, uh, which caught the attention of a lot of people, but it doesn't seem to be scaling. Um, so I, I, I could actually just do a whole podcast on the design challenges of PvEVP. Um, and I think yeah, there's a lot of pitfalls there. Anyways, back to U- Ubisoft. Can they actually make this transition happen? That's the key question here. Like the risks. Like remember, Ubisoft is actually coming off the back of a major shakeup, roughly about two years ago. At that point, they actually really questioned how they were developing their key franchises. When Division Two undersold, Ghost Recon Breakpoint was a flop. They really started questioning their strategy of trying to artificially bend their existing premium games into a live service. And overall, Ubisoft's track record with free to play is actually pretty mixed. On mobile, they're pretty much non-existent. Um, they've mostly just done fast follow IP things with very little success and MMA on mobile has mostly just, you know, as we talked about before, acquired kind of hyper-casual companies and in the case of like Calibri didn't really even structure the deal properly to, to retain that team, um, that team's founders. So there's not really a lot of internal expertise about how to transition AAA IP to free-to-play services. Um, And I think hyperscape recently was just really showcased that it it was their attempt at a free to play shooter last year, and it really fell flat, Um, but overall I'm biased, right? This is, this is me being self-servicing. Obviously I'm a big proponent of AAA going towards live services. Um, but I'm biased, um, but I think this is still a right move. I think they need to focus their premium to play development on games that can sustainably drive profit. So don't lose that strong baseline revenue, but they are really steps away from being a strong free to play org. Just by flipping the switch on rainbow six siege, the fact that this game is still not free to play shocks me, right? Like they're up to year six of operators and they've been mostly leveraging their starter edition and dropping it to free in limited windows and every time you look at that you look at that steam ccu every single time it's a sustained bump and that really tells me that this could be an effective free-to-play service and when they're competing against apex legends fortnite valorant warzone like why are they still holding this game out it's just so odd like they must see a number there that i can't see that suggests to them that free-to-play would not be the right case but i really would challenge that I think the real risk here is actually under investing in live services, right? Like Siege is now their golden goose, but to compete against Warzone, they need to feed that live service as many bodies as possible. And shifting some of those key resources internally to build new free-to-play games, instead of building on that existing live service, actually is a risk. And I think overall Ubisoft has shown conviction to invest in live services and see them out. Um, so I do see this as a positive. Like Rainbow Six was actually a mess at launch. Division, fought back after disaster twice, right? For Honor is still clawing its way back.
3: Division 2 launched okay,
2: no? It did okay, but then really engagement fell off, right? Like in terms of units sold, engagement overall did not hit their mark, right? And then the year two expansion with New York definitely did better. Um, But it shows that Ubisoft actually invests in live teams and gives them the time to figure things out, which I think is a positive. So even if they might not have the... Capabilities internally to make this transition to free to play, um, initially say correctly, they have the conviction to make this through, right? Um, and yeah, I think but- division, <laughs> eight, right? I know it'll be costly, right? No, no, yeah, hope is not a method, right? Let's no, like hope that we no. can actually build free to play experiences within our franchises, but they have the conviction, and I think that is part of. The success on free to play is not to assume that in the first X months that you're going to see success, that you're going to be able to, to grow those services over time. So division Ghost recon are actually fairly close to where they need to be. Um, they, they, they still need to make pretty fundamental changes about how they address things like progression and monetization, but still, it can happen. And I think it's, you know, unlikely that they're going to be able to launch these games like a Valorant or like a Warzone. I think it's going to be closer to like a smite or a path of exile that just kind of grows over time. So they have to be in it to win it for a long time. So I think the short term is going to be painful. Um, but long-term, uh, I'm more bullish on this. Eric.
3: Um, again, I'm not going to really be able to comment too fully on this, but I will say that I do think they are in big trouble for the next couple of years. Uh, Ubisoft is, I think, uh, They've gone some through some serious management changes, management challenges, all this uh Me Too stuff that's happening with with Surge, who got fired and let go, who was, you know, been there for like, I don't know, 20 years or something insane. And so I think they're gonna go through some growing pains. The uh the messaging around this change of strategy was was horrific. Um and and yeah, I definitely and, agree with that. <laughs> yeah, and and it's like they didn't do themselves any service at all, right? And and I guess the only comment I'll make is that I don't know how many of their franchises are really geared towards free-to-play, right? Um, you know, Far Cry and Ghost Recon and Assassins, right? I think Ghost Recon maybe, but there's I think, some I challenges. I think it's Ghost
2: there. Recon and Division, right? And, yeah. and of course, Rainbow Six Siege.
3: Yeah. So uh, I think they have like pockets of experts, but they don't have much, they don't have any depth here. So it would take quite a bit of retooling uh, for this this company to actually make this kind of change. Um, and again, they just, they're lacking leadership. So they need people in key positions to actually you know, manage this transition. They don't have it, you know? And I, and I, the bench is not deep. Sorry, I, actually, forget it. I'm not, I can't talk more about this, but if you want my thesis on Ubisoft, that's something you can call me about. Um, I, I, I think they should get sold and cut up. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I'll shut up. Moving on. Okay, Xbox. Um uh so I know sorry, just to be clear, I know a lot about UB and I I, I don't want to talk about it. So if, if you're really interested about what's going on at UB, let me know. Uh Xbox. Okay, Xbox teams up with Tencent's Honor of Kings maker TV Studios. Um, I thought this was interesting only because we're starting again, we're seeing Tencent um continue to go after uh western ips by licensing and 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 supporting chinese companies including tencent and eddies going after western ips by taking their licenses and making games out of them right so uh, basically the article was said they they that team it, basically the article was like three lines or something so just to be clear there is no detail at all on this but they said they had a strategic partnership with xbox uh and then the articles all speculate as to what this means right and so that's actually what we're going to do ultimately right um, they want to bring their mobile games to console. The article speculates that seems like nonsense. Um, they, they, <laughs> they want to hire a develop- They're evidently, hi- they say that they're hiring developers to build like the, uh, the Oasis, you know, Matt, M- M- you know, like a metaverse type thing. I-, I didn't even know this. So, you know, they want to do it with a VR headset. They basically want to build fucking ready player one stuff. Um, they also talked about how Xbox, Series X and S are, are to de- debut in China, but this deal probably had nothing to do with that, which I think I agree. Um, and again, they, they again there were no details in this article, but what seems likely to happen <laughs> is that they're going to bring Xbox and Microsoft IP to mobile, right? That's what makes the most sense. That's what Teamy does, right? So Halo, Halo, Forza, Fable like license it to Teamy and their teams and build experiences around those content. That's what makes the most sense. When you look at the success of Call of Duty, we'll see what happens with Diablo, with NetEase. You know, they are approaching these Western IP holders and, and, and dedicating teams to building great games on mobile for these devices, uh, for for these uh, teams, uh, companies, and then bringing them to Asia and then selling them into the West. And again, part of their overall strategy to expand their... Uh, footprint outside of China into the Western markets, right? Rather than building their own IPs, let's just license the best of the best, right? Uh, and and dedicate hundreds of people from from Timi. Um Again, what doesn't make sense is bringing <laughs> teamy's consoles to console. I mean, I, I don't know. What do you think? Anything, Adam? You think no? That's-
2: uh, yeah, there there would be no partnership there, right? Like I don't understand how they would. That that can't be the partnership, yeah. but. Uh, I, I kind of go back to like 10 cents overall strategy here and just how maybe not diabolical, but just like how well this all played out together. Right. Right. Yeah. Um, like they, <laughs> they are the ones that can actually, they're the only ones that can take the game to China. They're the only ones that can actually translate a game from console to mobile and actually, drive the type of revenue that these publishers are working for. And they can do it all with relatively low risk to the publishers themselves, right? Um so they can just swallow up all of this like massive IP in these deals and actually out-execute any of those publishers, right? So they they become the gatekeepers when typically when you think of IP, the IP holder is the gatekeeper. Um, but no, like if Timmy can can sign these deals with all these major publishers to take Halo to mobile, Fable to mobile, maybe all the Zenimax or Bethesda IPs up for grabs here, right, and actually build up these services. Timmy and Lightspeed and Quantum are really the only developers that can do this. Um, they, they've cornered the market. It's pretty, pretty incredible.
3: Yeah, and the other article that came out recently about Tencent was that they are trying to negotiate with the US government on their investments in Riot and uh, Epic right to maintain those and you know the privacy issues and player data stuff so they're trying to secure those assets right and not not get kicked out of the country on those yeah. assets but, but so. do you, like
2: it would it would be a huge <laughs> it would be a huge kickback to them like it would, it would suck for them to have to lose those two assets right to lose the touch points of right to, Riot, to ro- lose the touch yeah. points to epic but like simply based on how Tencent is structured of you know sharks like setting up a whole bunch of different games in the same genre competing against themselves right like they already basically have a league of legends in mobile right in china yeah. um so if they lost league of legends now they just feed honor of kings um if they lose fortnite they just feed call of duty and pubg mobile more I don't know.
3: yeah but, but you know what's funny is my understanding of it is that it, it, it it's not centrally managed by tencent it's like almost like they're so aggressive like it just the success it's like i don't know how i don't know how calculated the success actually is relative Mm -hmm. to like this they're so aggressive they're just going after so many different things and they have unlimited budget right so so but and they're 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 only going after like premium assets right so riot supercell epic etc so anyway it's just really really interesting what you can do
2: when you have Man. unlimited money.
3: <laughs> yeah, when you have unlimited money buy everything.
2: <laughs> Man, I wish I had unlimited money. Ooh, I could solve so many problems.
0: Yeah, but Microsoft has been on mobile like their games like they have launched Forza, they had Age of Empires, Gears of War, Minecraft Earth. None of them has has
2: had any kind Of, of course, of but like now success. but the like now with Timmy, right? Timmy with yeah, one of those IPs? I don't know. I, right?
3: I I forgot about Bethesda on this thing. I forgot, man. You got Elder yeah, Scrolls. And...
2: Yeah. yeah. Uh, man, like a Elder Timmy Scrolls. Elder Scrolls MMO.
0: Yeah, yeah. It's um. I, I remember just going whenever we do the uh, the predictions, just going through the list of games and seeing like, oh, Forza Motorsport launched. Uh, Microsoft launched this game, and you look at the numbers. Like, what happened? Like, did you do any promotion, or were you thinking that Apple's featuring is gonna, you know, be enough? And after that, the game is just going to, you know, grow like, like, it's it,
2: just, it's just classic innovators dilemma. And now Tencent's built up this expertise and just flipped that whole IP gateholder, gatekeeper idea on its head. It's crazy. Yeah. I don't yeah know. It's G- nice. Good on Tencent because whether it was intentional or not, they, they are in a great position. Yeah.
3: No, I've said it in the podcast before I, I met with them, like, or, or met with people representatives like six or seven years ago. And everyone was saying the same thing. It's like, China's too complicated or China's too competitive, China's too hard we need to get to the West. We need to actually bring our IP here or build things in the West that continue to grow and and, and they and to that from that point of view, they have executed very, very well right So uh, it was, in that way it was intentional but um, but I don't know, but it, it's pretty nuts, pretty nuts overall. All right, is that it? That That's we it. got that does it we're good right. any self self-serving
0: messages to our audience other than the twitter event that we have in the description and the iron source event that we have in the description sign up for those
3: yeah the, the iron source ones i actually thought my panels were quite good so you should listen to my panels they're very good so check it out <laughs>
2: <laughs> all right, guys. i won't do I, i'm, I'm dead i'm not do i am done. i am not going to do any self-serving all
0: right <laughs> next week bye everybody see ya. See ya.